Hello, and welcome to The State of Shakespeare. I'm Garrett Vandermeer. And I'm Jim Elliott. And today, we have Benjamin Kearns. Hello, Benjamin. Hello, Garrett. Benjamin is the director and fight director for the American Shakespeare Company's production of Macbeth, which is part of the 2017-2018 Wicked Folly National Tour. And Benjamin Kearns has been an artistic associate with the American Shakespeare Center since 2001. During his tenure with the company, he served as an actor, musician, company manager, director, and fight director. He's also toured the country on mul multiple times and has appeared in nine Actors' Renaissance seasons and five summer seasons. Benjamin is a member of the Actors' Equity Association, a certified actor combatant with the Society of American Fight Directors, and holds a black belt in American freestyle karate. What a resume! Welcome, Benjamin. <laughs> thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for joining us. I think the first question is, you hold a black belt in American freestyle karate. What is that? Wait, American freestyle karate? Um, there is a karate studio in Stanton, Virginia, where the American Shakespeare Center is located. And after I played Richard III there, I was sort of looking for something that was going to help me get into a little bit better shape. Um, and then I was hoping for something that would also help sort of get my mind in better shape as well. And then I also, because I've been doing a lot more fight directing work, I knew that there's no way that it couldn't, there's no way that it would not help that aspect of, of my work. So I, so I didn't actually take a martial arts class until I was 37 years old, wow, 36 you, years old. That's coming to it kind of late. So yeah, I was a very old white belt in a class full of very young children, but I I, I fell in love with it instantly, and um, and it did. It just, you know, it just I I found that when I was in class and training, that I was never so singularly focused. There was nowhere else in the world where where my mind was only on what I was doing at that moment. Maybe I should set the auditory scene for our listeners. So, Ben, you're joining us from, is it Staunton, Virginia or Stanton, Virginia? No, I'm actually in Carborough, North Carolina right now at the what? fame. I went to grad school at UNC Chapel Hill for uh, my MFA in acting. I graduated a month ago. Congratulations. And, uh, thanks very yeah. much. You're at that <laughs> existential life changing moment where you've invested all this time and energy and now it's they gave you your piece of paper and you're off in the wide world again how does it feel feels great it feels great like karate you know grad school was something that most of my colleagues did when they were much younger than i was when i started and i thought um after all the years that i had spent at asc you know if you've ever seen a show at asc and i encourage people to do so they have a very uh, specific performance style where the way that they approach the plays and the and the work, I think, is sort of singular onto them. That's the original practice, correct? Can you tell us a little bit about what that is? Sure. I mean, the company was founded on the principle of, like, if you perform Shakespeare's plays and the plays of Shakespeare's contemporaries under the conditions for which they were written, you'll find that they come... They, that they produce sort of more excitement and some of those things include you know perf performing in universal light so the audience is under the same light as the as the actors by making the theater more of an actor based uh, medium rather than a director or designer based medium sort of eliminating technology and having you know scene changes any sound effects or music is all performed by the actors themselves 
and try to make it sort of a more human-based type thing. In your experience, now that you're reconnected through your MFA program with other practices, what do you think is gained or lost by the approach with uh, original practice at the American Shakespeare Center? Well, what is gained is uh, there's there's more emphasis on the language itself. My experience has been that outside of companies like the ASC, directors and designers feel like Shakespeare needs their help in a lot of ways. And ASC, and uh, because I'm sort of a disciple of the ASC philosophy, we tend to think that Shakespeare doesn't need their help. And that if you trust the language, and if you spend time trying to communicate the language freely, then the audience will be along for the ride. And then they, they, you know, they don't need the help of lots of people, you know, of all these uh, designers in order to help illuminate that. I mean, it's all in the news now. I mean, on Monday, you know, obviously there was this big uh, news thing about Bank of America and Delta removing their funding from the New York Public Theater uh, production of Julius Caesar because they're portraying Caesar as Trump. And, you know, and I, I, I hope that lots of people in New York and from elsewhere in the country, you know, go to see that production. I, I do. I, I do think that you know, this uh, this big news cycle is offering them a lot of free publicity, and that's great. Uh, you know, I just tend to think that if you, I think, you know, no matter how you produce Julius Caesar, I think your audience is going to be able to make the connection. You know, they're, they're going to figure out how, how that play speaks to them. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. So the, the flip side of the coin is... So after getting away from original practice for a while and experiencing three years at the graduate program at North Carolina Chapel Hill, what things did you add to your toolbox? That's a good question. Um, I think what is gained is that there's more emphasis on actor-to-actor connection. The danger, the pitfalls of of an original practices type theater is the actors can fall into a trap of being sort of slaves to the audience. Um, And I think an actor you know, I think an inexperienced actor might find themselves, you know, there's a danger of sort of like hamming things up or uh, playing too much to the audience. Be- and, you know, and it's it's really easy to fall into that trap because you're getting, you know, this instant reaction from them, whether they're laughing or crying, you can see exactly how they're reacting to things. So the danger of that is that the connection between actors can be weakened. So um, one of the things that's gained by keeping the audience in the dark is that the actor, the only person that they have to draw other energy from is the other people that are on stage with them telling that story. So when I go back to direct at ASC, I try to, um, I, I try to emphasize that there's an importance to, to both. I mean, we have to be conscious, conscious of our visible audience, but not at the cost of an actor-to-actor connection. The speech that you've chosen to share with us today is from Act 3, Scene 1. It's uh, to be thus is nothing, a speech that I don't think we've discussed yet on the state of Shakespeare. This will be a first time for this speech, so we're looking forward to hearing about it. Why did you choose this speech? You know, it's it's this uh, soliloquy that Macbeth has that I think gets very little attention. It certainly gets upstaged by... You know the dagger speech and certainly by tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow but what i love about this speech particularly for an actor playing to a visible audience is um you know this is a point in the play where macbeth has has already murdered king duncan and unlike some of the other villains in shakespeare like uh, say iago or aaron the moor or uh, richard the third they, they constantly have these monologues to the audience where they talk about what they've done and what they're about to do. 
and with giddy delight popping. Right? Ex- exactly, and that's the you know, and that's the thing that I think sets Macbeth apart is that he constantly has these soliloquies to tell people, but he doesn't have the same delight. I mean, he's still doing the same nasty things, but you know, he's got all this anguish. And I love this speech because I feel like here's the speech where he's alone on the stage and he knows the audience must be feeling bad about what he's done and he's got this speech and i fe- i find it so active and that he has to make his case to his audience he's got to tell them like you know it, and it's not even so much about wh- here's why i did what i did but it's like you must know what i'm thinking about doing but can you blame me i mean look at the situation that i'm in i ah. I, I just you know he's just like don't you see what kind of danger I'm in? What you, the kind of danger that my wife is in? And um, I think that's fascinating because you make that makes it so much more active than the way I and maybe even Garrett were thinking about it, which is this sort of paranoid rambling about like, oh my God, now I've done this, and what about this guy? But you, what you're saying is that it becomes active. He's persuading. He is trying to convince everybody that why wouldn't I do it? Yeah, I mean, look, there's this line in there. You know, I guess we'll get to it in a bit, but um, you know, the the line that I that I love the most is it's like at line fifty six, and he says he chid the sisters when first they put the name of king upon me and bade them speak to him. You know, and we're told you know in our training for Shakespeare, we, you know, we're never really supposed to to hit pronouns, and and I tend to agree ninety nine point nine percent of the time, but here's this moment where he's like, you know, I didn't see those witches by myself. He was there too. And when they told me I was going to be king, his reaction was not to tell them to shut up. His reaction was, tell me what you can tell me about me. So, like, I love this moment with Macbeth saying, like, I know that I look like the bad guy and Banquo looks like the good guy. But, like, remember this. Remember, he was just as curious and interested as I am. And remember what they told him. And if he thinks that his kids might be kings, doesn't that put me in some kind of danger? If I did what I did to make my prophecy come true, then why wouldn't he do what he needs to do to make his prophecy come true? And and I think that that has merit. I mean, you see in um, in the beginning of Act Two, you know, Banquo tells the audience that you know he has these cursed thoughts that won't let him sleep. You know, he he's also kept up at night, which I think is often you know, which is not necessarily em- emphasized in most productions, but. So, but I, I, you know, I, lo- I love that idea that you know that Banquo is a uh, is is dangerous and he's a, a competent enemy. He's got all the reason in the world, and I, I you know, I've got to I've got to act. I want to I want to return to what you mentioned about pronouns, just because we kind of geek out on language, and uh, sure. and I'm I'm listening to you describe describe the situation in your own words, and I'm hearing you work the pronouns. And I think we need to come to terms with this because I too, <laughs> I too have always heard the trope that you don't emphasize the pronouns. But I think when people are using rhetorical constructs, especially antithesis, they do hit the pronouns for clarity. And why wouldn't you do the same thing on stage? I don't know. I think what's what's important for the actor is that you connect it to action. And if it helps to serve your action, then 
yeah, then rules can be bent and can be broken, but it, but you've got to connect it specifically to the action. I will like, totally accept that. I think that's marvelous. Yeah. Uh, are you Absolutely. ready? Are you ready to read these words for us? I realize, of course, that you're outside in a public situation, so, so this could get pretty interesting for those people that are around you. But if you're ready to dive in, we'd love. To no, it'll be them. great. It'll be it'll be very conspiratorial. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. I love this. This is Benjamin Kearns reading Macbeth from Macbeth Act Three, Scene One. And those of you that are following along on our website, these are lines forty-eight to seventy-one. To be thus is nothing but to be safely thus. Our fears in Banquo stick deep, and in his royalty of nature reigns that which would be feared. Tis much he dares, and to that dauntless temper of his mind he hath a wisdom that doth guide his valor to act in safety. There is none but he whose being I do fear, and under him my genius is rebuked as it is said Mark Antony's was by Caesar. He chid the sisters when first they put the name of king upon me and bade them speak to him. Then, prophet-like, they hailed him father to a line of kings. Upon my head they placed a fruitless crown, put a barren scepter in my grip, thence to be wrenched with an unlineal hand, no son of mine succeeding. If to be so, for Banquo's issue have I filed my mind. For them, the gracious Duncan, have I murdered, put rancors in the vessels of my peace, only for them, and mine eternal jewel given to the common enemy of man to make them kings, the seed of Banquo kings. Rather than so, come fate into the list and champion me to the utterance. Thank you go. so much, Benjamin. That was fantastic. Thank you. I was just, you know, you were saying before that you geek out on this language, and it, depending on which edition that you see, that here's like here's a, a great example of geekdom for me. It's like some editions will have the half line with the attendance cue where he says, "They are my lord without the palace gate." Ba bump, ba bump, ba bump, ba bump, ba bump. There's like that's the full line, and then the, it's followed by this full line, or the the half line is bring them before us with the idea that, that those empty feet are the servant exiting. So then the right. next line would be, to be thus is nothing but to be safely thus. However, you could make the case that it goes, you know, bumping back to line 43, Sarah, a word with you, attend those men our pleasure, they are my lord. So attend those men our pleasure, they are my lord, is the, is the shared line. And then they have another shared line, without the palace gate, bring them before us. And then the soliloquy starts with, to be thus is nothing, but to right. be safely thus, right? You right. know, so then you, you can make that case that there's all this empty feet after nothing, or you can have all of these empty feet before he starts to be the, you know, you think about there he right. is looking at the throne, or there he is looking at his crown, or there he is, he realizes it's the first time he's been alone with us in some time. You know, and he has this responsibility now to sort of let us know what he's thinking. And especially because we all just heard him say, you know, attend those men our pleasure. 
now we don't know who those guys are yet, but you know he knows that there are these you know these hired murderers that he's going to use to bump off Banquo. So you know the the attendant leaves, and then he turns and he's got what hundreds of eyes looking at him, and he's got to say, "Look, I know what I'm doing is bad, but come on, hear me out here." <laughs> you know. And these are great choices for an actor to be able to choose whether to treat it as a shared line or to be able to place the empty feet before or after the line. That is great material. That's like a gift to an actor, something that they can put in their toolbox. Absolutely a gift. And, and as, as a director, it's it's fun because you don't... I mean, all you have to do as the director is, is sort of make note that there's all of these different choices available. And then in rehearsal, you know, what's exciting is you can, you know, you can work with that actor and you can talk about what works what works the best for us what gives him the most juice or her the most juice in terms of like what helps to energize them and what what propels them or who else is present in the rehearsal that is watching and goes ooh that was the one that you know that sort of moved me i love that i love the idea of like exploring the choices and we talk a lot about it so let's talk i mean let's drill down and in, in line 57 i just want to talk in terms of making it actor for the actor i know this is a little bit booky and geeky but it's a really interesting line, Mark. It starts on 56. As it is said, Mark Antony's was by Caesar, and then it goes on, he chid the sisters. That could go in a variety of ways, scansion-wise. How do you scan it? Well, can we give a little background on this, on this line before we dive into, yeah. it, into the, the way that it's structured? Because, to be honest, I'm, I got a beef with this line, and here's my beef. The minute that he alludes to Mark Antony and Caesar, I'm taken completely out of the play. And instead of thinking about... Macbeth, and now I'm thinking about Julius Caesar. And it takes me several right. lines to get back into it because I'm, in my head, I'm puzzling through this metaphor. Wait, who's Mark Antony in this metaphor? Who's Caesar? Is Mark Antony a good equivalent to Macbeth? Why does he say that? Why are we talking about Caesar now? Am I the only right. Well, we all know that way? we all know that Shakespeare was writing Antony and Cleopatra at the same time, so he clearly had Mark Antony on the brain. And that's an interesting thing that you point out as well, because I, I think you're right. I think most people in audiences, they'll hear it and they immediately think of Julius Caesar. But Macbeth is actually referring to Octavian. Oh, indeed. Yeah. Well, I wish he would say so. But I guess it doesn't scan as because, well, does it? <laughs> it doesn't scan. That would make 57 really bad. Yeah, right. So anyway. So but, you know. But but to go back to, but to go back to the original point, and I you know, and you were saying that you wanted to jump into this line fifty seven, you know, think about it, you know, from the actor's point of view, if that line does take the audience out of it, if they do start thinking of either Octavian or Julius or Mark Antony, if it takes them out of that moment, then he's gotta work twice as hard to say like, Hey, back you know, eyes back on me, he chid the sisters, you know. Right, uh, and it is know, a, it is a midline stop there. So he does he does re like you know reload. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe you, you know maybe maybe that could be maybe there could be some empty feet there. Maybe the compositor just you know didn't couldn't be bothered. Who knows? We'll never know. So Benjamin, you've been at the American Shakespeare Center for a really long time, uh, long enough to call it home. I think we get from everybody we talk to about it that it's a special place. What makes it so special, and what's going on there now? Well, for me, what makes it really special, I think, is it's one of the only theaters that's still operating under the company model, which sadly has gone by the wayside in this country. Um, but, you know, you really have an ensemble of actors. And when you're working with these plays, it's fun to see that you and the rest of the ensemble 
you know, you start to feel like you're stepping not into the shoes of, you know, Hamlet, so to speak, but maybe into the steps of Burbage because you tend to find that you play many of the parts that were written for him or I play many of the parts that were written for Will Sly or, you know, however it goes. Um, so it's nice to, to work with the same company of actors and see them do different things or even see them do the same things and grow and, and change. I think also uh, the inclusion of, of live music and every ensemble being its own band uh, is incredibly fun and exciting, I think, for both the ensembles and the audience to hear contemporary music played live is, is a real treat. So the, the Wicked Folly Tour, of which Macbeth will be part, uh, will also feature Sense and Sensibility, also uh, The Taming of the Shrew. And in the spring, when the tour ends and it returns to the Blackfriars Playhouse, they'll add Bill Kane's equivocation to the rep. Um, and I think uh, for an audience to be able to see Macbeth and equivocation in the same weekend will be incredibly exciting. Yeah. Um, for those of you who don't know, the, the play is very much about Shakespeare and the King's Men crafting and, and the, the writing and rehearsing and performing of Macbeth for the first time. So you'll see the same actors who play Macbeth in my production play Macbeth in equivocation. I think that's a real treat for the audience, and I, 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 I frankly can't wait to see the production. It's one of my very favorite plays. Oh, that sounds that, like a lot of fun. When do you open those plays? The tour will go through about April of 2018, and then it will return to the Blackfriars Playhouse and perform all four shows throughout April, May, and the first half of June. That's great. Wow. So plenty of lead time for our listeners to make plans to come to the American Shakespeare Center. Yes. Benjamin Kearns, thank you so much for speaking with us today. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you, Ben. Thank you, guys. I had a great time. Thanks for joining us for the State of Shakespeare podcast. We invite you to visit stateofshakespeare.com for more episodes, information about each of our guests, and the Shakespeare text you heard on the program, and much more. And we welcome you to join the discussion by liking us on Facebook. That's www.stateofshakespeare.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.